0: Well, most of our kids, as they're headed out, have been back to school for a couple of weeks now. And if you are a parent or a grandparent or maybe even a teacher in a school, you've probably seen a familiar project that usually takes place in the first couple of weeks of school called the All About Me Project. (laughs) Do you all know what I'm talking about? Um, Sometimes our kids have to make a poster about themselves, maybe make a little book. My son this year had to do a PowerPoint presentation. Other times we've had to bring in a little bag of it's almost like show and tell items to like get to know other people in your class and say a little bit about yourself. Well, I recently ran across a book that Joe and his brother made when they were kids and it has an all about me um, book theme. And so I wanted to show you a picture of a page from this book. In case you can't see it there, this has a page that says, sometimes I get mad at some people. I kicked someone, you could tell they had to like debate this one whether yes or no, finally decided on yes. I pushed someone, yes. I hit someone, yes. I yanked hair, yes. And my favorite part, I'm sorry I did it, no. (laughs) Now, Joe claims this was his brother's book, but I'm sure he was equally rotten as a child and has (laughs) moments like this himself. But typically these are not the kind of all about me projects that our kids are doing these days in class at least. But I've I've run across several of my kids and these are some of my most treasured items they've done because it's kind of like a little bird's eye into their world at that particular age, what their favorite things were, maybe what they wanted to be when they grow up. And it's kind of fun to look back and see how these things change. Over the years. But from the time that we were small, we've been trained, we've been given many opportunities for self reflection, for self discovery, for identifying our interests, our gifts, and our strengths, which can be a wonderful thing. Even here in the church, we've done several things like this. We the a finder thing together as a congregation to help people identify their strengths. Sometimes we talk about spiritual gifts where we try to discern how God has made us uniquely so that we can serve him using those gifts. I have nothing against these projects. I'm actually a big fan of these All About Me projects. But I've been mulling over that phrase a bit, all about me. It's kind of cute and frameable when you're a child, but there is nothing more sad or obnoxious, in my opinion, than an adult who has grown up and internalized the message that life is supposed to be all about me, all about my wants and needs, about fulfilling my desires at the expense of others, all about getting ahead and being the best and not letting anyone else stand in my way. A life that is all about me is one we have all sorts of words for. Selfish, entitled, egotistical, to name a few. Well, the past three weeks we've been in a sermon series called Mission Possible. And what we've been learning about mission is exactly the opposite of a mentality that says life is supposed to be all about me. A life on mission is a life that is all about God. It starts with God and it ends with God. And when we talk about God's mission in the world, we believe that the God of the universe invites each one of us to participate in the story he is writing. He gives us unique roles to fulfill in building for his kingdom. And his plan is that through us, his glory and the manifestation of his presence will spread out into our world. So I need to say a quick word about this word glory. It's kind of a churchy word we probably use, but sometimes we may not be sure exactly what it means. You may remember in the Christmas story, um, where the, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. From this story, we get this picture that glory is kind of a dazzling display of God's presence and his majesty. Sometimes we use the word glory interchangeably with praise that the purpose of our lives is to give God glory, which means to reflect back to God how wonderful and praiseworthy God is. But the root word for glory in the Old Testament actually means weightiness or heaviness. It shows the value or importance of something. When we give God glory, we do this because we're in awe of how marvelous and worthy he is. Are you still with me? Well, my favorite definition of glory is from a writer named Jenny Allen, and she says, glory is the visible expression of God's goodness and beauty on this earth. And God has chosen to show his glory, his goodness and beauty in this world through us, through his disciples, his image bearers who are here to reflect the image of God into the world around us. Well, I don't know about you, but I can't think of a more noble or holy calling than to reflect Jesus to the world around us. But if we're honest, it can be a bit daunting to think that I am called to carry God's image and spread his glory to the world around me. Sometimes I forget and I don't do this very well, like those moments after I've been on hold for 20 minutes for a doctor's appointment or something and I just feel a little agitated and short with the person. The last thing on my mind is how can I reflect God's glory to the person on the other line in this very moment. <laughs> other times, it can be incredibly intimidating. How am I supposed to spread the message of God's goodness and beauty in this world in a way that utilizes my unique gifts and abilities? Have you ever been stuck in that moment trying to figure out how, how do I even discover where God is inviting me to join his work? Sometimes we just get stuck. Where, what am I supposed to be doing? So as we talk about joining God's mission, what comes to mind for you? Does it make you feel inspired, intimidated, overwhelmed, a combination of all of the above? We talk a lot here at Kairos about the ways that God is inviting us to join his story. Whether this means coming alongside the poor and the marginalized, using your gifts to serve, or sharing God's message of love with others, the possibilities are endless. And everywhere. And as I say that, I think this rightly should invoke in us a sense of weightiness because God's mission is important. We all long for our lives to have a greater meaning and purpose and to be about something that is bigger than ourselves. But when we look to Jesus and his example and how he lived, it also reminds us of what a joy and a privilege it is to be a part of God's great story bringing hope and healing and redemption to our world. Well, I need to ask if there are any Harry Potter fans in the room. My um, children are really into these stories. My daughter has read the book series three times all the way through, then we had a family movie marathon to watch these um, together, and now the dream in the Ryan household is to go to Harry Potter World at Universal Studios, so we'll see if that happens. But I recently heard an interview that Larry King did with Daniel Radcliffe, who was the actor who played Harry in the movies. And this is what he asked him about his role in the final Harry Potter movie. And this is how um, Daniel Radcliffe responded. He said, I always knew that anyone who was given the role would have the same fame. It was never about me. It was about this franchise. I was simply a part of something bigger. Don't you love that? I was simply a part of something bigger. We've been given a role in a story that's not just about us. It's about something much bigger. It's about God's glory, the visible expression of his beauty and goodness being reflected into a broken world where people are hungry for meaning and hope and for the possibility that God can pick up the broken pieces of their lives and turn them into something good. This is the mission that we have been called to participate in. And as we seek to join this mission, we look to the example of Jesus, who set the pattern that we are to follow. Well, if you'd now turn with me to our scripture passage this morning, you can follow along on the screens behind me or in your worship bulletin. But our passage is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. Well, this morning as we talk about God's mission, I have three symbols to help us remember what we're talking about in hopes that they'll stay with you as you walk out of these doors this week. The first symbol is an ear, because in the example that Jesus set for us, we see that God's mission starts with listening. We see throughout Jesus' ministry, he made it a regular habit to set aside time to communicate with his Heavenly Father. This was not a one-time thing. This was not simply an annual retreat on the mountaintop. He led a disciplined life where he carved out time for prayer and connection with God. It was part of a regular rhythm in his life. And because of this, he was very clear about his mission. He was very aware that he came to do not his own will, but the will of the one who sent him. Did you notice what the disciples said when they appeared on the scene, disturbing his quiet time? They announced, everyone is looking for you. This seemed like a somewhat urgent request, right? But Jesus, he was not disturbed by the announcement. He didn't redirect his plan for the day based on what seemed to be urgent to them. He was very clear about what was next. He announced that the reason he came was to go out to continue spreading the message of his kingdom to the surrounding area. So off they went. Sometimes I wonder if the reason that we lack a similar clarity, focus, or direction when it comes to how we're supposed to be living or how we're supposed to be joining God's work is not because God's not speaking, but perhaps we are not in the habit of listening. We need to have moments set aside from all the noise to get a breather from the constant bombardment and carve out some space for quiet listening and communication with God. And in the digital age that we live in with so much noise, I think this need is greater now than it ever has been. It's so much easier to continue to listen to the voices of everyone who is looking for us than the still, small voice of God who desires to lead and guide us by his spirit. And there are so many ways to do this that are truly life-giving. Sometimes, for those of you who may have had a church background for a long time, this word quiet time that we we use, it can seem a little bit of stifling or rigid. It seems like there's a formula for how it needs to be done. But that that phrase, it kind of reminds me of time out or something, which you know, if you, any of you who have toddlers know that that is not a positive word. It usually induces loud wailing. And in my case, when my um, son was a toddler, it meant throwing yourself on the ground and beating your head on the floor as well. We don't need any wailing or headbanging when it comes to listening to God in quiet time. Perhaps what we need instead is to broaden our imaginations a bit and rediscover what does it look like to listen to God in a way that's life-giving, something that you look forward to, something that fuels your soul and it empowers you to the work that God may be calling you to do. Maybe it's something as simple as taking a lap around your neighborhood, walking your dog, pushing your kid in the stroller, and just taking time to soak in the beauty of God's creation all around you, saying some phrases of gratitude, and taking some time to listen to God. Joe and I both have mentioned an app that we love called Pray As You Go. We've mentioned this before, but it's a 10-minute guided meditation. I love to do it the second my kids get on the bus and I grab a cup of coffee and I just have a minute to myself. There are so many tools we have that can aid in time like this. Maybe it's carving out a few minutes during your lunch break um, to meditate on a passage of scripture. Maybe it's developing a pattern of when you go to bed at night. Just listening to some worship music or spending some time in prayer. Listening to God is so important because mission, it's not simply about what we do. It's about who you are, about who you are becoming. And that God is inviting us to represent who he is to people around us. And as we carve out this time for listening, we allow God to shape who we are to become more like Jesus. Well, are you ready for symbol number two? The second symbol is your eyes. Because God's mission, it helps us see people. Last week, Drew shared with us that the fruit of mission is community. He shared the passage of scripture where it says that Jesus called people to follow him and said that he was going to go out and send them out to fish for other people. And this simply means that they were given a new job to be about other people. Well, I love, um, as we walk through the book of Mark, we've been looking in chapter 1, um, to just pay attention to how Jesus lived. And I love to see how often he stops, wherever he was going, if he's on a path headed in a certain direction, he stops to pay attention to people who were along the way. So many of his miracles, do you realize how many miracles he may have been on his way to do one thing, somebody else called out to him and he stopped to heal them in that very moment. Other times he noticed somebody that everybody else had just overlooked and walked by and he stopped to listen to them and to meet their needs. My favorite um, story in all of the Gospel of Mark is, comes from Mark chapter 5. And it's the story of Jesus who is on his way to heal the daughter of the synagogue leader named Jairus. His daughter was gravely ill. It said that she was on the brink of death, and so it was really urgent that Jesus was supposed to get there um, right away. But as he got off the boat and he steps onto the, um, the, the path, all of a sudden it says that the crowds just start pressing in around him. Can you imagine how many people to have the crowds just pressing in around him? And as this is happening, he feels someone reach out and touch him. And it says immediately the power went out from him, and he stops and he says, who touched me? And a woman identifies herself who had been subject to medical problems over, says, over a course of 12 years that she'd spent everything she had on, on doctors, and yet her condition continued to get worse rather than better. And in that moment, Jesus stops everything. He heals her and frees her from her suffering. Jesus saw her in the middle of a crowd and stopped. A life on mission sees people in the middle of a crowd. A life on mission sees people even when we're busy and we have places to go. A life on mission sees people in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, our schools, at the gym, in the grocery store. Does that convict anyone like it convicts me? What if we began to pray that the Lord would help us to see the people that he places in our path on a daily basis? And that he would give us discernment to know when we are being called to respond. What if we began to pray that the things that break the heart of God would break our hearts too? What if the stories that we hear of individuals who are suffering or things going on in our world helped us develop a sense of compassion to care about something that is bigger than ourselves and maybe pray about what might be next as we are called to respond? Here's the thing. Sometimes... When we think about mission, we make it into something so big and so overwhelming that we just simply fail to do anything. But beginning to see that mission starts by caring about one person at a time can be an incredibly inspiring way to live. Do you remember last week when Brian, who was here from Friends of Refugees, told a story about how his family simply decided to invite a refugee family to go with them on their trip to the pumpkin patch? And how this simple event started a friendship not only with that family, but with all of the neighbors in the apartment complex where they lived? Yes, I do believe that God calls some of us to do big and courageous things for Him. Maybe God will use you to help fight injustice, to get involved in an organization like Friends of Refugees or a nonprofit, which do great things like alleviate hunger and poverty in our world. And I'm so grateful for courageous men and women who have followed God's call and are inviting others into his kingdom work. But sometimes, praying that the Lord will help you see people that he has placed even in your daily lives, the way he sees him is also just a great place to start. Jesus shows us that every person he encounters matters to God. And the simple gestures of kindness and love that we do to demonstrate His love to other people on a daily basis, these things also matter to God. Well, our third and final symbol for this morning is the heart, because God's mission ultimately is given to us to ignite our hearts. The Gospels frequently demonstrated that Jesus was moved with compassion by the people he encountered. His heart broke when he saw people in need of healing. He was moved with compassion when he saw people who were living in spiritual darkness. And if we want to join God's mission, we also need to pay attention to the things that move our hearts. We need to pay attention to the things that break the heart of our God. Can you think of a time where you heard about something that's happening in our world that really just touched your heart in a deep way? Or perhaps something that was going on in someone else's life that you just couldn't stop thinking about? These are often signals that God is beginning to ignite your heart. And the next time that this happens, maybe begin to ask, Lord, how might you be calling me to respond? Is there even a small step that you're calling me to take? How are you inviting me to pray for this person or this issue? Because often the way that God calls us is by moving our hearts. Sometimes you may have a heart for a particular cause, based on something that you personally have experienced. Other times, maybe it's because you've heard a story of an individual that has forever changed your outlook. But we see that joining God's mission is possible as we learn to open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to see people the way that God sees them. I would now like to invite my friend, Ann Ross Edwards, to come up. And as I was preparing this sermon, Ann Ross came to mind because I feel like she is someone who has been recently living into exactly what we're talking about, the ways that God has kind of uniquely given her a passion to join his story. And what my favorite thing about her story is really how this all began um, by an interaction that she had with one person that really ignited her heart about a particular issue. So will you give Ann Ross a warm welcome? (laughs) Well, Ann Ross, tell us a little bit just about this project that you felt called to be a part of and just how, how you got started, how this journey for you began.
1: Okay. Um, I Can you all hear me? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, I went to Clemson University, and as part of my sorority, we, they had a philanthropic effort where you could go tutor at a local Title I school, which is a school where most of the children are on free and reduced lunch. And so on a whim kind of I signed up to go do it and um, we were reading buddies and I went to a kindergarten class and the teacher brought out two children, um, a little boy and a little girl and we met out in the hallway and she said, you know, introduced them and said, you're gonna take them to the library and read a story to them. Um, and she said, she tapped Leanne on the head and said, she won't do very well and it's okay. Don't, don't worry about it. So that did not sit well with me. Um, especially now I'm thinking I've got a, a daughter in kindergarten and it just breaks my heart even more today than it did back then. But um, anyway, I went and had a great time with the two kids and um, it just, that that interaction did not leave me. So um, I decided I was going to, you know, up my presence at the school and, and just really try to work with this child, Leanne. So over the four and a half <laughs> years at Clemson I was a semester late <laughs> I worked with I Lee um, two to three times a week each semester and um, it, it really that experience taught me just the power of positivity um, she made some progress I and mean, though I had no idea how to work teach a child how to read or do math but just being positive and showing up um, was a really powerful experience so uh, Graduated from college, um, traveled a little, did a couple random jobs, but always felt this tug in my heart to apply for um, programs like Teach for America or teaching fellows in various cities. Um, so I did that um, as a 28-year-old. I think I was the oldest member of my Teach for America class. Colin dropped me off at Georgia Tech's campus for summer boot camp, and everyone else's moms and dads were dropping <laughs> me <off. laughs> um, And I had majored in psychology, so they slated, most psychology majors, they slated for special ed. So um, I taught elementary special education in southwest Atlanta. And um, my first little student that I worked with, his name was DeMarco, and he was in first grade. And I pulled him out of his class. We went to the library, and I remember sitting there with him that first time, and the word cat was on the page. And he he knew all his letter sounds, so he could say k, at but he could not string them together to form the word. Um, And I was at a loss. They had not taught us really how to to make that bridge happen. So I actually talked to my mother-in-law because Colin's younger sister had some learning differences and she gave me ideas. She said, you need to get a bucket of sand and some magnets where he can physically move them together. And so I started using strategies like that, which was my first introduction to what I now know as kind of Orton-Gillingham methodology. Um So I taught for a few years. I ended up in middle school for a couple years at a charter school um, where I really saw the impact of students who aren't um, don't get intervention early. And I was working with fifth graders who were coming in on a first and second grade reading level. Um, and just couldn't really, I just didn't know the best way to teach them how to, to read. And so my coworker and I began, we said, You know, if we live in Atlanta and we're in a middle-to-high-income family and our child is struggling with reading, what do we do? So I visited Westminster and Trinity, and my friend Jane teaches at the speech school, and she had hosted me there one time, and everyone kept saying, Orton-Gillingham, Orton-Gillingham, you need to go to the Skank School and take their class. And um, so that led to me doing that and sitting in the class each week and just feeling like A light bulb was going off, that this is amazing, this is what these kids need. Any children, honestly, learning to read, but especially when struggling. So Colin and I just began having a lot of discussions on how do you get this hard-to-access methodology to children who can't afford the tutoring, because it's very expensive and the schools are expensive. Um, And so we just kind of sat in that for a while of How do you make that, how how do you make that happen?
0: Well, because I know what's coming next in your story. (laughs) I know that really your Christian community has played a big role in helping you discern um, kind of where God's called you and what's next. So Tell us a little bit about um, how how your Christian community has supported you and just even um, God has helped lead you on this journey as a result of that.
1: Yeah, so um, we've been in a small group with Billy and Julia Pinkston for, gosh, probably eight or nine years now. And maybe three or four years ago, Colin and I talked about this problem that we felt existed. And just for saying we wanted to try to figure out a way to tackle it. And Julia um, at small group that night said, I'm pretty sure that there's an organization that exists that does exactly what you're looking to do um, and provides high quality Orton-Gillingham trained tutors to low income students. She said, my sister is a tutor in Charlotte. So Julia kindly put me in touch with her sister, which led to then me finding out about this project. It's called the Augustine Literacy Project. Um, And I looked back at my email this morning. I met with the executive director in Chapel Hill three years ago um, to just find out more about it and figure out kind of how we could try to bring a chapter here to Atlanta.
0: Awesome. And the exciting news is she's bringing a chapter here to Atlanta, and she's going to actually host trainings right here in our church coming up in the next few weeks. But um, Ann Roswell, we're so excited about what God is doing. I guess I also need to ask, have there been any fears along the way as you've been getting started, even currently? And if so, how can we be praying for you and supporting you in this um, next stage of the journey for you as this new project? And tell us a little bit about where the project is getting started and all of
1: that as well so people can know a little more. Okay. Um, So the project, we're hosting our first training the first two weeks of October. Um, We have four tutors signed up including Joe Ditzel, which training is going to, training's going to be really fun. Um, Miriam's next-door neighbor is going to be one of our tutors, and then two, tutor, two tutors in Atlanta. And Really neatly, um, Drew and Amelia helped me connect with the principal at Lake Forest Elementary, so we'll place three of us there, and the other two tutors will work in Decatur. So I'm excited about that because there's going to be some overlap, I believe, with the Bethesda Church children who also attend Lake Forest. Um, so that's happening (laughs) three years later, but had some kids and things. Um, it's been, it's been a slow roll, but in a good way. Um, but there have definitely been fears, um, along the way. Getting up here today, this is out of the norm for me. (laughs) I tried to convince Colin to do it, but he said it wouldn't (laughs) be as impactful. (laughs) Um, but, um, one quick story about a fear is I had I had some fear around recruiting people because it's a big commitment and it's new here. So it doesn't have the, um, it's not as known as it is in North Carolina. And so I brought that to our summer Bible study and I remember getting a text A week later from Mary Flynn I was on my way to the doctor and she just texted me I'm praying for you and you know praying that people want to be a part of this and do this and I felt very encouraged by that and then I went in to the doctor and had this amazing um, conversation with the nurse practitioner who had grown up in Southwest Atlanta and the impact education had had and the how it had changed the trajectory of her life and so that was just amazing, um, it, very inspiring, and you know, um, kind of helped calm that fear and realize that the need is there and we can make this work. Um, but um, just prayers around um, really the, the children that we're going to work with and our tutors. I just hope that they feel supported and confident and that they develop relationships with the kids that um, impact both of them. Um, yeah. Any other ways as a congregation that we can be
0: supporting you in this yes. journey as well?
1: Yes. Thank you. I forgot the practical kind of way. Um, I would love for people to, if you're interested and have the bandwidth to provide I'm looking for people to provide lunch during the training so it'll be seven weekdays over the first two weeks of october there are five of us that will be there so um, i'd love for if you're interested you can reach out thank you (laughs) um just bringing lunch to where you can kind of get a glimpse a little glimpse of who's a part of the project and what we're doing that would be awesome
0: well we are proud of you excited for what god's doing and let's pray together um, for ann ross thank you for sharing Lord God, we thank you so much for um, the ways that you have been leading Anne Ross, Lord, from her first interaction with that sweet little girl who um, somebody else had said, this not, not much can happen here, Lord, to you giving her the eyes to see um, the possibility of a child who is loved by you, Lord, who deserves an education. And, Lord, we thank you for all the kids out there that are like her, that are waiting for someone, Lord, who will see them the same way, Lord, who will work with them and believe in them and help provide them the the resources they need to succeed, Lord. We pray that you will work in and through every tutor, Lord, that um, you'll be with Ann Ross as she orchestrates these trainings, Lord, that you will give her all that she needs to equip them Lord, that you would use them to make an impact at Lake Forest Elementary School. We pray that these children who receive this education and these new tools, Lord, that they would sense that they are loved by God. Lord, that they would um, just catch glimmers of hope for what the great things that you're calling them to do in their lives as well. And so, Lord, we just thank you for her story. And, Lord, we thank you for each person here, Lord, and the story that you are writing in their lives, Lord. Would we all just continue to listen as we sense your still small voice listening, um, speaking to us, Lord? And would we have the courage to take um, that next small step that you are calling us to as well? We pray all of these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.